About uh, two years ago, in 2016, I was asked to speak at a conference in Colorado, and I don't know what it is about Colorado, but nobody in Colorado likes the Denver airport. So they surprised me by um, having me rent a car. So the first time I rented a car, and it's a little putt-putt, and I don't know the roads of Colorado, I was there with Ellie, at least I had a friend, Ellie James went with me, we had this little putt-putt and it blizzard came in. And we were driving in the putt-putt in this blizzard and everything was white. We couldn't even see where we were going, but she was there telling me where to turn and that's the only reason we made it to our destination. We made it then to Whole Foods and we made it to our hotel. And I'll never forget um, Sunday morning, we were gonna go to church and the pastor's wife said, don't come, we've canceled services. The blizzard is so bad while the roads are open, just go straight to the airport. So we went straight to the airport in the putt-putt. And Ellie said it wasn't until we got to the airport she realized what a miracle it had been because everybody else had rented Suburbans and we were in a putt-putt. So it was just gone. But then I was asked to do a conference the following year. This one, I had to go alone. And I you know, spoke here on a Friday morning. And then I went to the airport directly and my flight was delayed an hour. And when I got there again, they had a rental car waiting for me. But I went uh, to budget rent a car and the line was out the door. I started out the door and was making my way in. It took over two hours. So I arrived an hour later than I was supposed to. I arrived at three. I waited in line till five. Then I got my car. Then I got on the road. And by this time, to use an English expression, it was chock-a-block, which means it was absolutely packed. And you know, here's a car I've never driven before. And I'm trying to set up my telephone in it so I can have a GPS. But the GPS was only going to come over the radio. And it was a two-hour drive at least, bar traffic. And I couldn't listen to anything. I get bored really easily. And I was going to be traveling roads I never traveled before, going to a destination I had never been before, meeting people I had never met before, and giving them the message of God. But here I was in this car, and I didn't know where I was going. I, I mean, I didn't know when you come out of the airport, was I going north, east, south, west, right, left? I didn't know. The only way I knew, because there was no map, was to listen, which meant I couldn't let my thoughts wander. I couldn't take a call from anybody I loved and just converse on the way to this. I couldn't listen to a podcast. I couldn't listen to Audible. I just had to pay attention to the voice. To the voice. I finally, I finally got to my destination at exactly the time I was to speak. But I realized, you know, um, I, I knew I had to be close and I saw a market because I was on this street that it told me. And I just went into the market and they had like, I bought a chicken breast and I bought a salad to go and I bought salad dressing and I got there and I went straight to the sound room and I said, I'm sorry, I haven't, I didn't even get a chance to eat breakfast. I've got to eat. They're like, that's okay. There's two more songs. So I'm eating during the songs. Like I'm worshiping by chewing and eating and being with you. And the pastor's wife is like, is she here there? And they had little, you know, people in the parking lot looking for me. But it was all by the GPS. And what I want to suggest to you, that faith is God's promises seized. GPS. Do you know how hard it is for me to come up with, an, you know, like, it's like playing balderdash and they give you the initials and you have to come up with something. So you might have something better. And if you do, please give it to me because if I ever do this message again, I'll use yours and not mine. But God's promises ceased. This is our special GPS. This tells us where to go. It tells us our, our destination, and it's going to get us there. And, you know, I not only had to use the GPS, I had to be assured that the GPS knew what it was doing. 
Because I'm telling you, a couple times it took me off the freeway and onto side roads. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, I have no idea where I am at all. I'm somewhere in Colorado. That's all I know. And I trusted the GPS that it knew how to get me to Colorado Springs and how to get to Calvary Chapel Worship Center. I was assured. But then it's not only insurance. I had to embrace this. I had to personalize this. These directions I'm listening to are not for these other people on the road. They're for me and my car to get me there. Finally, I had to align my driving with everything the GPS told me. I had to, when it said turn, I turned. When it says move to the right, you know, the right lane, I moved to the right lane. When it said go straight, I went straight. Whatever the GPS told me to do, I did. I am going to repeat three phrases to you over and over again, and I'm going to prepare you for that. Because this is how we activate the power of faith in our lives. And these three words are found in verse 13 of Hebrews 11. And it says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured, embraced, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. To activate our faith is going to begin with assurance. Assurance of God's promises. This is the word of truth. This is the word of God. Assurance. And next, it's going to take embracing. Embracing is personalizing. So many times, you know, we're, we're elbowers. We're elbowing the person like, this is for you. This is for you. And God's saying, this is for you. We have to make these promises, this word of God, our own. We have to embrace it. We have to take it and say, this is for me. Thirdly, we have to confess. And this word confess doesn't just mean I admit it's true. Although it does have the connotation of agreeing with God. But confession is another word for lifestyle, which means that the word of God has to be fully incorporated in your lifestyle. You have to align your life by the word and promises of God because this is so, because this is what God has promised to me. This is how I'm going to live. And that's what we see with these patriarchs. We see that they were fully assured, embraced these things, and, uh, you know, personalized and aligned their lives with God's word, God's power, God's fidelity. Last week, we learned in verse 6 that without faith, it's impossible to please God because those who come to God must, here's, here's a divine imperative, must believe that he is and he is a rewarder or he does what he says. We must. This is, this is where faith is initiated. We must. We must be assured it's only then that God can reveal his promises to us, that we can know what God has promised us. It's only when we're assured this is the word of God that you can open it and go, wow, look at all these promises. Look at this truth. And then we can embrace it and say, I want that one and that one and that one and that one. Put our name by it. I, I like to put my hand on it put my other hand up in the air and say, Lord, I claim this for Cheryl Broderson, or I claim this for the children of Brian and Cheryl Broderson, or I claim this for my grandson or my granddaughter. 
I claim this for this fellowship. I claim this for the movement. I claim this for the state of California. I claim this for the world. This is the reality I'm going to live by. When we do this, we come into alignment with God's great plan and we become participants in the great work that God wants to do through his word. His word is able to do in us all that God desires. And thus, we begin to obey his directives. Turn right, turn left, and we get to our destiny. Let me say this. I spoke at that conference Friday night. I spoke at that conference on Saturday. Spent the night, went to church there Sunday morning, had to get back in the car, turn on the GPS and make my way to the budget rent-a-car drop-off. It wasn't like it wasn't like it was over. I had to use that GPS again and just rely on the voice I was hearing. And again, it got me there. It was gonna get me back to be assured, embrace, and confess. What we have in verses 8 through 22 is the testimony of the patriarchs. And I love that Sarah is included in the testimony of the patriarchs. When you think of the patriarchs, you naturally think of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But right here among the patriarchs, Sarah is included. Now, Abraham is known as the father of the Jews. Here is, here is the source of the Jewish nation. And it's Abraham and Sarah passed down to Isaac, the promised child, passed to Jacob, preferred above his brother Esau, and then to the sons of Jacob, including Joseph. But I want you to realize that these men lived, served God, and were greatly used by God. So they were assured, embraced, and confessed before the Mosaic Law, before the Sabbath was instituted, before the tabernacle. These men did not celebrate the Sabbath. Before the sacrifices, before the rituals, and before the feasts. They never saw the fulfillment of the promises, the great promises given to Abraham. The receiving of the land, the descendants being as the stars in multitude or the grains of sand. They all died in faith, not having received the promises, and yet by faith, they saw them afar off and were assured, embraced, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They lived righteous lives, pleased God, and came into alignment with all of God's plans. Again, told you, repetition. So you're going to go out going, okay, Cheryl, assured, embraced, confessed. They assured, they were assured by God's word. They personalized God's word, embraced it. And they aligned their life, confessing God's word, aligning their life and their lifestyle, their attitudes with God's word. Abraham, Hebrews 11, eight through 19. Abraham's life spoke of his faith in God. And it's seen in his persuasion or his assurances of God's promises. He believed in the reality of God and he went to the place God called him, having never been there, having never seen it, not even knowing the how to get there. He embraced it. He personalized it. This is God's promise to me. And it's also seen in the offering up of Isaac as he gave God's promises back to God. What we're going to see in this portion of scripture is 
faith makes us fully dependent on God. The assurance is not on my ability to believe, but because God said it, it is so. It is not on my ability to, to walk it out or you know, never have a doubt. Faith rests completely on what God does and has done. It's all in God. You see, if faith is about how much I believe, then faith becomes dependent on me again. Like, oh my goodness, I have to, I have to believe enough. I have, a, I have to believe enough to activate God's word. No, I only have to know this is God's word, personalize it, align my life with it, and then faith will do everything. Because God's word cannot, will not fail. But faith brings me into alignment so that these promises can become my promises, can work for me. Abraham was assured by God's word. He embraced God's word and went out not knowing where he was going. He trusted God to get him to a better destination. As we read in verse 8 and 9, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would afterward receive as an inheritance. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. You see, for Abraham, faith was not a one-off. It was a confession. It was a lifestyle. You know, sometimes you're like, well, I believed God in 1972. And now I'm believing me. You know, now I've got this, this savings account. Now I own my own house. I don't make car payments and I have solar electricity, so I'm fine. I collect my own rainwater. Faith is not a one-off. Faith is the way we live our entire lives. Abraham didn't seek to go to the land of promise and build a house or build a city or establish himself in the promise. He chose to get there, but to continue to live by faith. It was a confession. It was a lifestyle. Faith was not just Abraham's destiny. It was a continual journey, a continual adventure. He didn't own any property but a grave. He didn't build any home but lived in a tent. He didn't create any city and name it after himself, as his brother Haran had done. His brother had gone to a city, founded a place, and named it after himself. Abraham didn't do that. He lived as a stranger and sojourner in his own inheritance. Abraham aligned his life with God's word and confessed his confession, his lifestyle, bespoke of a pilgrimage on the earth which testified that he believed in a better homeland. This was not his permanent residence. This is not where he was settling down and settling in. Faith is the absolute assurance that heaven is real because God's word tells us that it is real. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 5 through 7, it says... Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, prepared us for heaven, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Therefore, we are always confident, always assured, knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, assured, yes, 
well pleased rather to be absent from this body and be present with the Lord. We are assured of a homeland in heaven, of a place prepared for us. And we embrace heaven on earth by following God's directives to get there, to get there. Personally, I think about heaven a lot. And I have aligned my life with that heavenly reality to please God here because the rest of my life will be about pleasing God. I have aligned my life with heaven because it's my ultimate destiny. Sometimes I think about the treasure I have in heaven. I think about the day that I'll get to see my dad again. Young, robust, with a full head of hair. I'll see him. I, I think about the day I get to see my Aunt Isi again. With her tambourine. I'm just sure she took it to heaven. She wanted to be buried with her cornet and her tambourine. And I'll get to see her again. Some of my favorite people are in heaven with Jesus. But I know I am so assured that I will see them again. And that's where my heart is. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think back on how my dad's body began to break down. It was not one stroke. It was many strokes. And then there was back surgery. After his back surgery, you don't know this, but he flatlined at home. And the paramedics had to be called in and revive him. Knee surgery, cancerous tumor, chemo, radiation, weakness, oxygen machine, surgeries. I remember um, the family insisted on a viewing and going and, and looking at that body in the coffin and knowing that is not Chuck Smith. That no longer represents him. Didn't even look like him. Looked like some Czechoslovakian tailor. Didn't look like him. It was stiff and it was cold and the corpse wasn't smiling. And my dad smiled constantly, constantly. My dad was filled with joy and loved to laugh. But as I told you before, the Lord gave me a dream. And in my dream, I saw my dad robust and handsome and energetic, enjoying all the adventure of heaven. That is what I am assured of. That is what I have embraced, knowing the truth. And that is how I'm aligning my life. It is not a delusion. It is a far greater reality than this earthly pilgrimage. And Abraham was assured of the celestial reality. Abraham recognized it as his city, not just the city for the righteous, but his city, the place that he was destined to go. And he aligned his life. The confession of his life was that he was going there. Abraham died. He didn't see these promises, but he didn't need to because he, he didn't see them happen during his lifetime, but he saw them afar off. My Aunt Isi came to Vista, and we had just bought what had been called the Happy Home Center. It was like a Home Depot that went out of business, and we bought it to build our church in. And at this point, there was nothing in the building except for a styrofoam hammer that was like 20 feet long and you know 10 feet wide that was hanging on a wall. That was it. And the board members were all meeting um, to pray over the building. And this was at Christmas time. And she came down. She said, I want to see this place. And so I took her over there. And there's our board. And they're all sitting on a concrete floor just praying and dedicating the building to the Lord. And when you walked in, there were no walls. So you would just see the whole scope of the building with, with one view. 
And I remember, and I remember my NEC was about 4'11". She probably weighed 150 pounds. Not a tiny thing, but a tiny thing. And lined from the, the Arizona summers with little granny glasses and curly gray hair. And at this point, she was 84 years old. And she looked at me and her eyes were glistening. And I'll never forget, she looked at me and she said, I see it. Oh, glory to God. I see it. Hallelujah. God has allowed me to see it. And he will do great things here. She saw it. You know, we had outgrown our little church that seated 250 people. We had three services every Sunday. We had grown it out. We built the sanctuary to hold 800 so we could have one service. In the meantime, between selling the church and being able to move into our new building, we met at Bringle Terrace Park, and we decided to have one service. But at Bringle Terrace Park, at a park, right, with a service outdoor, outdoors, and um, we got the, um, we did Sunday school, and we did all ages in one fell swoop in this auditorium at Bringle Terrace Park. We had to go to two services. We thought, wow, that never happens when you're outdoors and, you know, in transition, two services. Our first Sunday, we packed the church out with standing room only. And the fire department came. They'd come to our old church all the time because we were too crowded. Now they came to our new church and said, you have to do something about this. We were already renting two parking lots. And they said, you have to do something about it. It's too crowded. It's too crowded. And we're like, okay. So we went to three services. Three services. And of course, first service was about three quarters of the way full, but the other two were absolutely full. My aunt saw it. She saw it. She never experienced it because she died that February. But she saw it. She embraced it. And she confessed it. This is the reality. This is what God will do. Died in faith. Died in faith. I'm going to tell you one more story before we move on. When we were on um, the first trip to Israel for us in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Everyone was being baptized in the Jordan. You have to wear white robes. The Jordan River baptismal site is really special to me because it was Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa that gave the money to Israel to build that. My dad got a private audience with, um, with um, the prime minister of Israel years ago, Begin, and Yo, Begin is saying, yo, thank you for your support of Israel. Don't ask me what accent is. That's my imitation. That's as good as it's going to get. And he said, what could Israel do for you? You know, Chuck and Calvary Chapel. And my dad said, well, you know, I saw this plot of ground. Nothing's on it. Right by the Jordan River. It's not too far from the Galilee. I think we could make it a baptismal site. I want you to make a baptism site for any Christian group that comes over, that they could be baptized there in the Jordan River. And he said, not only do I, I, I want you to do this, we as Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa will underwrite and pay for it. And I only have one stipulation. And, and Bacon said, all right. He said, I don't want my name on it because this is for the kingdom of God and all of God's people. I don't want any dedication to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, but this is dedicated to the kingdom of God and his son, the Messiah, and for any who believe in the Messiah to come and be baptized. And Bacon said, all right. Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa gave that money. The baptismal site is there. The only thing you can find of my father there is a poster with him baptizing and a tree that has a little plaque to him. But there's other trees with plaques, but that's my daddy. And I remember 
because it was the first time I had seen this baptismal site done, going to Israel and seeing it and almost collapsing on my knees. Anyway, that has nothing to do with the real story I want to tell. The story I want to tell is there we are. And I realized all these people on our trip are getting baptized and we don't have a photographer taking their pictures. So I took out my little phone and I started taking pictures. And it was a couple that was getting baptized and I somehow hyper-focused on this couple. Don't ask me why. And so we get on the bus and she's sitting behind me and she said, oh no, I didn't get one picture of our baptism. And I said, I don't want you to think I'm a stalker. But I, I took some pictures of you baptized, being baptized with my phone. She's like, you what? I said, no stalker. I just took pictures of you being baptized. And she said, how many? And I said, well, you're the first one I started taking pictures of. So somewhere under 30 and over 20. She started crying. I gave her my phone and she started downloading all my pictures onto her phone. She said, you don't understand how important this is to me. My husband comes from a Christian family. I was an ardent atheist. She's a, a professional. She's highly educated. She's got a doctorate. And she said, I told that woman, I'm going to marry your son and I'm going to make him an atheist. And she said, I was so mean to my future mother-in-law. And she said, I wasn't the daughter-in-law any mother would want for her son. She said, but this one day I, I, you know, I walked in and I was just kind of like, I've got him. You don't to the mother. And she said, my mother-in-law was smiling at me, said, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You are God's will for my son. And she said, I looked at her and I said, how can that be? She said, God gave me a vision of you and my son being baptized you are going to walk with Jesus Christ and be a blessing to my son. And I'm so excited to embrace you as my daughter-in-law. She said, that woman loved me as obnoxious as I was. She only loved me. She said, I received Jesus after my mother-in-law died. And I never saw myself coming to Israel. But she said, as I was in line, and about to be baptized, I thought, my mother-in-law was right. This is what she saw. This is the vision that Jesus Christ gave her. And I said, and I was the photographer. This is what happened with Abraham. It wasn't his experience, but he saw it. And he aligned his life. This mother-in-law aligned her life, her attitude towards this young girl, according to the promise of God. And she lived in the joy, in the joy of that baptism. Abraham aligned his life with a better place, a heavenly place. So he never, ever returned Never returned to Haran or Ur. There he could have had a house. There he would have had familiar circumstances. And then we're told, because Abraham lived like that, because this was his testimony. In verse 16, because he desired a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God said, because you've done that, I will associate with you. Isn't that incredible? God associates. God wants others to know he loves us. We are his beloved. God wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were his own. And you could throw them into a fire and God would walk with them and make sure that all that happened was that their captors were burned up. Their bindings were burned off. But these men were untouched by the fire and became the men upon whom the fire had no power. 
God associated in the fire with these young men. God is willing to associate with us when we choose to walk by faith. This is how he associates with us. Moving to verse 11, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Can you imagine at 90 years old, my mother is 91 right now, becoming pregnant, having never before conceived after being barren for 89 years, well after menopause, well after hot flashes, aged, she received strength not only to conceive, but to be pregnant. Pregnancy is hard. You have to be careful that you don't lose that child. Birth is traumatic. I remember you're taking those birth classes, having my first child, and you're feeling the need to push. And Brian's saying, this is the fun part. He almost died. <laughs> Had I not been pregnant, distracted, he would have died. She conceived strength, not only to conceive, but to birth and then to nurse, nurse and care for a baby and a toddler. I'm 58 years old and I have, I love, 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 love my grandkids. I had a sleepover with three of them and at two o'clock in the morning, they're like, grandma, grandma. And I said, yes. They said, is it time to wake up? I said, no. And they said, then why are you awake? How was Sarah able to conceive, to give birth? Because she was fully assured. God's promise, God's word is true. She embraced it. At one point, Abraham tried to make the promise of God about Hagar. God comes back to him in Genesis chapter 17 and says, no, it's not about Hagar. It's about Sarah. Sarah, when Sarah heard it was about Sarah, because she was making it about Hagar, she laughed. <laughs> it was incredulous. Like, right, sure. And I love that God said, and you'll name him laughter. And you'll always be reminded of your incredulity, of your skepticism, and God's faithfulness and fidelity. She aligned her life with what God said, and she was strengthened. That's how powerfully God's word works in us if we will believe it and be assured of it, embrace it, make it our own, and confess it, aligning our lives with it. Because she believed, embraced, and confessed, Abraham, who is only one man, became the father of thousands and hundreds of thousands, more descendants than stars in the sky, more than grains of sand. Now we move on to Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones by faith. By faith, Isaac spoke God's word over Jacob and Esau because he was assured of the promises. He was so sure that he gave these promises to his sons, Jacob. He embraced those. Jacob aligned his life with it. Esau didn't. But he spoke it over both his sons. Jacob sought to bring his grandsons, the sons of Joseph, 
into the promises of God. That's how assured he was. Now, remember, at this point, Joseph's the prime minister of Egypt. There's a huge inheritance that will be passed down to Joseph's sons if they embrace Egypt. But Jacob says, no, the inheritance that I have for them is greater. The promises of God are a greater inheritance, more sure, more lasting than anything Egypt can give to these two boys. The promises of God. Joseph made plans for his bones based on his assurance that God would indeed give to his descendants and his brother's descendants the land of Canaan, that it would become the land of Israel. So he made plans. Plans, not for his, not for his body, not like when I'm old, take me back there, but for his bones, knowing that it was sure, but it wouldn't happen in his lifetime. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph were fully assured that God's promises were true. And they embraced these promises, treasured these promises, held these promises, personalized these promises. They confessed these promises, aligning their life with the veracity of God's word and promises. And by doing this, they blessed their children. I love children's books. I'll just confess that children's books are my favorite books. I was a kindergarten teacher, and so there's certain books that I just get really excited about. The Hungry, Hungry Caterpillar, love that book. Uh, Love anything by E.B. White. there are just certain authors that I, I just love. But I also love children's history books because it's easier for me to understand and it has pictures. And I love picture books. I just love uh, when a picture comes together with the words. And years ago, I bought a book called um, Daughters of the Revolution. And it's all about the heroines of the American Revolution, all about outstanding women who helped bring about the emancipation of the United States from Britain. And in that book, in the introduction to that book, it says that these women melted down their pots and pans to make bullets for the war effort, that they took their sheets and their finest garments, having no way to replace those because they come over from England. Without replacements, they took their undergarments and they took their sheets and they began to rip them up to make bandages for the soldiers. They took their last bit of food and they set up these these like little kiosks along the side of the road where they knew the revolutionary soldiers were coming and they passed out food and they dressed their wounds and they gave them ammunition. And it said this, these women never thought that they would ever experience freedom for themselves, but they believed that they were winning it for their children and their children's children. So they sacrificed all that their children and their grandchildren might live with freedom. Isaac and Jacob and Joseph were willing to sacrifice that their descendants might be assured of the promises of God, might personalize the promises of God, might experience the promises of God. You know, we are a very self-centered generation, very concerned 
about our comforts, very concerned about our earthly security. And we are putting burdens on this next generation, tax burdens, higher prices, so that we can continue to live in comfort. Not so with the patriarchs. They were all about what they were leaving to the next generation. They were all about blessing, enriching, investing in the next generation. By faith, by faith, they aligned their lifestyle with the veracity of God's word. We can do that as we are assured of the promises of God, as we personalize, God will take care of me. God will lead me. God will direct me. God will provide for me. But he will provide for my children. So we bless, we listen to those that are younger than us. It's so funny because I'm writing this, you know, I'm going over my notes in the office and my um, phone starts beeping with a text. And my daughter is sending me a devotional. And she's sending it to me and her younger brother, who is the oldest son, my oldest son. And then they're commenting on it. And, and so I have to stop and I have to read it. And I'm thinking, Lord, my children are walking in truth and they have become my mentors. They have become my inspiration. Lord, I want to bless them back. I want to bless them back. But instead, I asked for that book for my birthday. Listen, invest, tell this next generation that you believe in them, that you are for them. They are going to have to face things that are harder than anything we've ever faced. I, I was talking to three young pastor's wives, and I mean early 30s to late 20s. And oh my goodness, they're strong enough for it. God has already given them the strength. And I think that they, in many ways, are wiser than we are in the way they're handling the world and the pressures of this world. Amazing. I just was like, I am so proud of you. That is amazing. That is so wise. That is God. Your flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my father who is in heaven has shown you these things. Invest and believe. In so doing, when we are assured of, when we embrace, personalize the promises, when we walk it out in our lives, the attitude of faith, because God is going to do everything he said he's going to do. When we do this, faith is activated in us. And we, by faith, have the right attitude, sojourners. We have all the strength we need to bring forth the promises of God in our life. And we bless the generation to come. Bible heroes that we read about through the whole word of God were people that made God's word their own. God's word was not just for other people or for you or for the woman at church who's got a problem. But this is God's word to me, for me, and about me. So one last time. Find your assurance in the word of God. Find your identity by personalizing those promises because they are for you. And then align your life in and by the promises of God. 
Let God's promises, God's word be your reality, your joy. Let it, let it so persuade you that you can smile at your enemies knowing that God has a great work to do and will do it. These all died in faith, not experiencing the fullness of the problem, <laughs> promise. Kind of experiencing the promise, I'd be the problem and not the promise. But they were so assured, so assured that they embraced it, made it their own. And they aligned their life, that confession. And so they have come to us as heroes of the faith, of examples to follow, of the means to activating God's great work in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your promises. But Lord, I pray, Lord, that we might be fully assured that this word is your word. This is the word of God that cannot fail. This is the word of God that is proven over and over again. Again, this is the word of God that brought forth Jesus into the world at the perfect time. This is the word of God that promised us a savior and then revealed that savior, that Messiah to us. This is the holy word, the powerful word, the good word, the everlasting word. May we be assured of it. But Lord, may we personalize it. May we embrace it. May we write our name on the promises. May we stand in it. And Lord, may this word work so in us that it affects every single area of our life, that it affects every cell, that it affects us mentally, socially, physically, spiritually, in every arena of our lives, Lord, because it is truth. Let faith be activated in us so that mountains move, trees are uprooted, and our children are blessed. We ask this in Jesus' name.